Hello, my friends. Welcome to Pence Podics, Mr. Watson. I am most certainly your host forever and eternally, Christian Watson. It is good to be with you guys today. And today, a lot of you are not feeling very good. Today, a lot of my listenership, I'm positive, at least from what I'm seeing on Twitter and YouTube and and all the other social media platforms, today a lot of you are recoiling in fear and and, and, and just a sense of just palpable anger and uncertainty, the specters of ambiguity overtaking your ability to feel certain about your own future. You feel as if your future is destined to be placed or is already placed in this granular amorphous model which is beyond you which is beyond your control which is beyond your even perception that forces beyond you are working in the universe to control what happens and many of you may be thinking christian what in the world are you talking about i'm talking about the inauguration of joe biden many of you are in despair some of you are in despair because you have doubts about the integrity of the election Others of you are are in despair because you have doubts about the integrity of Joe Biden's administration in relation to their perception of individual rights and natural freedoms. I'm more in the latter half. Because regardless about the election, the election happened, it is in the past. It happened, it's in the past. We cannot live in the past, we want to go further in the future. Now, personally... Again, I don't have the same doubts about the integrity of the election that many people do. That's just a personal thing. I don't. I have doubts. I have I have reservations about how the mail-in ballot system was handled across the country. I have reservations, you know, especially here in Georgia, where uh, Stacey, um, Brad Raffensperger conceded to Stacey Abrams every inch and allowed more people to have mail-in ballots without having a proper verification process. There were a certain sliver of mail-in ballots that were not verified, although not enough to overturn the results of the election. I have problems with that. That Those are legitimate questions that need to be answered. But I don't have questions about the election myself. I have questions, however, about what Biden and Harris are going to do to the country. I have questions about the survival of our rights amid their uh, ascension, transcension to power. Those are where my questions lie. And many of you, regardless of the source of your fear, have the same kind of uncertainty tackling you. I have, you know, part of me reconsiders politics and political, this political career that I'm endeavoring on every day. Part of me thinks, Christian, do you have the stomach for this kind of stuff? Part of me thinks, Christian, will your philosophical viewpoint get you blacklisted? Will your dissent, you know, one day I'm up two followers, I'm up three followers on YouTube. Next day I'm down three followers on YouTube because I say something that you don't agree with. I mean, Christian, are you ready to handle the fact that people are going to leave you once they realize what the true contents of your hearts are, even though they understand your principles are ever, right? They got your gift, but they don't have you quite yet. I mean, are you going to, and I'm just, it's just swirling and surrounding me. But the one thing that keeps me motivated, my friends, is the fact that this country right now is in a spiral of disinformation. It's in a spiral of sort of maimed concepts that confer moral outrage, but not epistemic truth. It's in a spiral of being bound to the past or using the past as sort of necromantic fact, fact fashion 
to rile up the sentiments of the future. It's in a spiral of these baleful things. And a lot of it is coming from a particular political side. We understand that. And so when I approach my ambitions, I wonder to myself, Mr. Watson, not only are you doing the right thing, not only are you doing a valuable thing, even if only four people ever listen to you, not only are you doing a righteous thing, you are doing the necessary thing. I have conversations with God every night. And many of you may think this is crazy. I don't care. <laughs> respect my beliefs. I'll respect yours. And I always just hear a sense of confirmation that what I'm doing is necessary and, and good. And more so now that we have a president who has a radically different paradigm than that which allows natural rights to flow forth into this country and allows human flourishing to happen unimpeded by moralizers, by do-gooders, by sanctimonious pushers of certain concepts. We have a president right now who doesn't quite understand that change occurs on the micro-individual level, that interactions, that society begins on the micro-individual level, and that society begins when individuals, not members of certain groups, not hyphenated Americans, when individuals decide to let the seed of their heart fall out in a righteous condemnation of whatever is going on, and then proceeds forth to change whatever is wrong, or to fix whatever needs to be improved on it and fix better. That is what happens. We have a president right now who doesn't get that. I was listening. I just got finished listening to the entire inauguration. I listened to Biden's speech. I listened to the to Jennifer Lopez and Lady Gaga singing, you know, stuff. I, I no honesty. No, this is no, no, no offense to Lady Gaga or uh, no J Lo, uh, Jennifer Lopez, because I I'm actually I, I like Jennifer Lopez a little bit. I used to uh, the first album of hers that I ever listened to was AKA, which she released a few years back, 2014, I think. Um, and that was when she was a judge on American Idol. When I was younger, guys, like I'm 20 now, I was younger. I used to listen to a lot of American Idol, The Voice, all that kind of stuff. I used to be glued to the TV. I'm absolutely opposite right now. And I'm not glued to anything that has relates to TV anymore. I'm actually more so reading books. In fact, <laughs> if you guys are looking at YouTube, you can see the books that I'm trying to get through right now. Like I have stacks upon stacks upon stacks of books that I have either read or that I'm still reading. I haven't even tackled this monster yet. For those of you who can see, I haven't even tackled this monster yet. <laughs> Jesus. So I'm actually the ex exact opposite right now. But so J-Lo, uh, you know, no offense to her, she's not a natural singer. J-Lo is a pop singer, and there's a distinction. Um, pop singers typically rely on a lot of machine alteration of their voices, and they don't necessarily sing in a traditional sense. They singing kind of, but they're mostly just talking. That's what J-Lo is. So when she sung I, the uh, national anthem, I, and nothing against it, but I think that it's a very interesting choice. I think that it's, they have a pop singer. Anyway, but so I, I listened to all of that. I listened to Biden's speech. I listened to the, the, the poetry speech. I'm all going to cover all of that. And as I was listening to Biden's speech, I couldn't help but feel confused. Because the theme was unity. The theme was unity. And the theme was democracy. Yet, in the same breath he's talking about unity, Biden also mentions that we must ad adhere to the public good. 
rather than our own personal self-interest. And this was actually the most concerning part of the speech for me. The idea that the public good supplants what is good for me, or the idea that there is even a public good. Those were central elements of Biden's speech. Then, in the same breath as talking about unity, Biden also mentions racial justice. In the same breath as talking about unity, <laughs> Lord Jesus, Biden also mentions health care for all. In the same breath as talking about unity, Biden mentions these very clearly ideologically defined themes, which certainly do not serve to unify, which certainly do not serve to do anything of that sort. In the same breath as talking about unity, Biden very clearly shows where his ideological ideas and pretensions rest. In the same breath. Who am I talking to right now? In the same breath as talking about unity, Biden lays out a very clear left-wing agenda. So this is not to say, this is not a value judgment on the agenda itself, although I have, obviously I have reservations about the agenda itself. It is a judgment about how rhetoricians, whoever wrote Biden's speech, assuming it was not himself, were so sly to mention unity and yet not consider the philosophic dissension that many people on the right would have with the measures that Joe Biden is laying out. And so the way the conversation is phrased in Biden's speech, if you are against racial justice, he didn't say this explicitly, this is how it's phrased. If you are against an idea of a racial justice, if you are against health care for all, and this is a tactic that many people on the left have been using for a very long while, and it's actually endemic to politics as a whole as well. The right does it too, but the left does it more. If you are against any of these particular policy proposals, then you are against unity, and therefore you are the problem because division has been used as a buzzword, as a salvo against political operations for so many, for so many times. Division has been used to completely and utterly dismiss principles rather than actually engage principles on the merits of their precepts, on the merits of their tenets. This idea of division. And look, Biden actually said in his speech, no, division is not new. It's bad, but it's not new. So someone who's going to understand that and take it a little bit further, division is not necessarily good or actually, it's actually a pretty good thing. When it doesn't manifest in the form of violence, Division is essential for the preservation of our natural freedom. It is essential to the production of righteous knowledge. It is essential to the preservation of free and open dialogue. It is essential to the production of more Joe Bidens, of more Ron Pauls, of more Justin Amashas, of more Nancy Pelosi's, of more Chuck Schumer's. It is essential to the inner workings of our institutions. Now, if you reject all of that, if you reject the need for institutions, you reject the need for free speech, you, you reject all of that, then I guess this makes no sense to you. If you reject all of that, then uh, my apologies, but you're going to not agree with what I'm going to say. But if you even believe in that, as most people do a little bit, then you need division. Bad ideas are severed 
when division comes forth. The fact that there was a division between the between the Allied forces and the Axis powers in World War II was a good thing. Imagine if the Allied powers tried to unite with the Axis powers. And look, I have criticisms about the United States' involvement in World War II. I have big criticisms. I think that we ushered in an era of nuclear of nuclear fear. I think that we um, poisoned the well for a lot of diplomatic interactions from from that point on. I think we set up this 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 false power dichotomy between the Soviet Union and the um, Westernized capitalist countries, which still leads to resentment to this day, which really leads to violations of rights to this day. Um, I think that there's a lot of things that are wrong. I mean, we demonize an entire group of people for holding communistic ideas, when in all reality, any idea you want to hold that is not going to incite something violent is an idea that should be allowed under the American system. But instead, we were so focused on prosecuting communists, throwing them in jail, getting rid of them in jobs, all kind of stuff. I mean, I think that our involvement in World War II led to a lot of bad things. Well, that's not why World War II was, our involvement was unwise. It was unwise primarily because it went beyond the scope of its legalistic um, boundaries. It went beyond just responding to Hirohito's events on our country. It went beyond that. And when you go beyond the legitimized boundaries that you have been, that has been set out, set forth for you by bodies of law, such as Congress, then what happens? You're breaking something that is very sacred, a constraint. You know? But imagine if unity had been found amongst the allies and Axis powers, there was no unity. Because resistance to evil, resistance to tyranny, resistance to injustice does not imply unity. It implies the very same opposite. Now, someone could say, Christian, you're making a straw man. Joe Biden does not, Biden cannot be compared to World War II. And if you think that, I'm sorry if you think that because I'm not trying to. If you would take the example I just made and think I'm trying to compare Biden to the Allied or Axis powers, then you're completely missing my point. <laughs> you're completely missing my point. That is not what I'm saying whatsoever. What I'm saying is, conceptually, how do you distinguish, how do you differentiate good ideas from bad ideas, wicked ideas from benevolent ideas without a sense of division? Division is integral to the interworkings of ideas. Let me hit you with something even more deeper. Division is integral to the metaphysical workings of the universe. We d we understand things um, both in relation to each other and as them and as themselves. Concepts themselves have this sort of dualistic tendency to it: light, dark, hot, cold. Now, something can be entirely hot without being cold, but we understand it. We distinguish it as hot because there's something that is cold. If we don't, if we don't have anything to distinguish a concept from a division, so to speak, how do we distinguish concepts? It's a very difficult. It's a very difficult. To conceptualize that. So this idea that division is evil, that comes out of the Biden speech, is just nonsense. It's necessary. But so, in the same breath as postulating unity, Biden has the nerve, the unmitigated nerve, to begin saying things that are quite literally not unifying. with moral sanctimonium pomp. When you say that I want to preserve racial justice or 
establish racial justice so America can be its fullest idea. You're suggesting a few things. Number one, you're suggesting that the idea of America is contingent upon upon uh, particular political actions rather than the preservation of that which already exists within the American spirit, within the, within the context of documents and the letter of documents that established this country. Biden is sort of engaging in a sort of revisionistic idea of America, a sort of uh, clay, I, I call it a clay um, castle idea of America, where the foundation of the castle may already exist within the clay, but you have to mold America into what you want it to be. No, America already is. There's something metaphysical about the character, the basic character of our nation, people. It is not up to us to mold our nation to the sort of for to, to like sort of um, ideas that deviate from that. It's up to us to recognize that the character of our nation is already incumbent in so many things that this country is about. So many things that, that are integral to America, it's only our job to preserve that which already is there and to eliminate anything that would seek to disrupt the metaphysical joy, the metaphysical tenets of the American idea. That is our goal, people. It is not this sort of progressive Rousseauian idea. Oh, let's mold the man. Let's mold society into this. Let's, let's subordinate ourselves to the public good and let's make sure that all of our demands, all of our policies, ideas full from that that is not what america is and that is not what i'm going to let people conceptualize america as you don't unify by using such starkly divided language you don't unify by stating such biased ideas of this country you don't unify man you don't unify by doing those things but the goal is not to unify as a rhetorical slight the goal my friends is to cloak their ideological plans beneath the ornate veneer of universal agreeability. They want to appear agreeable so that dissent is hard to make. And even when you dissent, they still phrase your dissent in their terms. They being the people who wrote Joe Biden's speech, the progressives. With a progressive idea. I'm not going to assume that all progressives believe what I'm saying. I would assume most do believe what I'm saying. I believe most progressives believe in racial justice. Most believe in healthcare for all. I'm just going to these are just basic tenets of the progressive idea in America. Joe Biden said, this is very interesting. Joe Biden said, if you did not vote for me, I want you to hear me out the next few years. And if you disagree, so be it. That is democracy. Those are his exact words, I think. Close to exact words, at least. That is democracy. That's what Joe Biden said. Isn't that an interesting phrase? So he's already established the terms the ideological terms upon which the conversation occurs in, which are going to be accentuated by the force and power of Biden's government as administration. And if you disagree, that's okay, but he still has the power of democracy on his side. So he's phrasing your dissent in terms of the idea of the majoritarian rule, in terms of the idea of the public good. That's what he's doing. 
It's very sly. It's very clever. It's very interesting. But it's dangerous as hell. <laughs> it's dangerous as hell. Excuse me, Brian, for the cursing. Excuse me. Brian is the uh, head of the uh, Peppa Ravens network that I'm on. Excuse me for the cursing, Brian. I did not mean to do that. <laughs> Excuse me. But it's true, isn't it? <laughs> My lord. Jesus, help us. There's no escape. People people would rather look at the policy ideas. I have had friends tell me, Christian, you need to be, need to be more empirical. And guess what? I believe in empiricism. I am fully... I believe that the senses is where knowledge... Kant said in the beginning pages of Critique of Pure Reason, all experience begins with, all knowledge begins with experience. But not all knowledge arises from experience. I disagree. I think, I agree with what Aristotle, what Aquinas, and then what Locke said, that there is nothing in my mind that was not first conveyed to the senses. So in a more, uh, in, a, in a more common man sense, I believe in data. I believe in stats. I believe in studies. But I believe in using the rational um, mechanism with the empirical mechanism coinciding because you need the empirical mechanism to stay rooted in reality, but you also need the rational mechanism to communicate with the realm of principles, the idea of principles. You need both of those things because principles may not be inevitably immediately apparent. You have to manifest them through your actions in, in an empirical sense. You know, Blake says... William Blake says that we begin with this rational mind as a baby or an infant. And then, as we grow up, we begin to focus more on sense experience, empiricism, and we're in this world of hellish empiricism almost. I think the baby actually always is empirical. It just doesn't know how to interact with that sense. It doesn't know how to phrase it. Infants are a good idea, a good recognition of why empiricism is important. Anyway, people say, you, know, you need to be more empirical. I try, I am trying to be, but ideas are literally, quite literally, what is being manifested empirically through these political speeches. We have to understand the underlying concepts which motivate political actors in society if we are ever going to have a real and honest true conversation about these issues. Empiricism data itself will not satisfy. I'm sorry, it will not satisfy. And so if you want to go look at, have a bunch of data thrown at you, you know, Ben Shapiro is a good podcast to go look at if you want that. I like Ben Shapiro. But I'm not just going to take a bunch of studies and just throw them at you. I'm going to try to communicate something higher to you. That's the important thing, my friends. So when we come back from break, because we're going to come up and break it out 50 seconds, I'm going to talk more about the inauguration, talk about um, the slam poetry and the benediction that was given, because I think that those two things right there convey a lot of what I'm talking about when I say you've got to be careful with this principle. You've got to be really careful when it comes to um, phrasing arguments. You've got to be very careful with that stuff, my friends. you got to be very careful with believing with your ears rather than processing with your mind because it sounds good it must be good that's one of the biggest flaws of current american politics so subscribe to us my friends pencil politics all platforms youtube um i'll be, be back right after this break see ya
All right, welcome back, my friends, on this second segment of Pentaponics and Mr. Watson. So, as I was mentioning before the break, we have to understand how ideas interact with policy and how ideas manifest policy. I want you to imagine our world as a tower. A tower has a foundation, like any building does. And if the tower has a sturdy foundation, the tower is probably not going to be stable or probably will not survive for a very long time. This seems like a novice observation. Watch this here. If the tower has a stable foundation, but everything that extends out of that foundation is antithetical to the foundation, but yet the foundation seems to be stable, it appears to be stable, we will labor under the idea that the tower's foundation most certainly is stable. In either case, the rest of the tower emerges from a foundation. A house emerges from a foundation. Everything emerges from a foundation. That's why political philosophy is connected to the human, and the human is connected to nature. And nature is connected to freedom, and freedom is connected to something bigger and grander than anything, than nature, than the world. It is important to understand the fundamentals if you're going to have sound political conclusions. Even universal fundamentals, metaphysical fundamentals, epistemological fundamentals. All that means is the fundamentals of knowledge, fundamentals of the universe, fundamentals... It's important to have these things corrected and grasped. And so I was thinking about fundamentals when I watched the second half of Biden's inauguration. After he spoke, two individuals came up, and we're going to spend some time analyzing their speeches. Uh, Amanda Gorman, who is the youngest poet laureate in the history of the country. <laughs> I good, good for her. Um, she read her poem, The Hill We Climb, which I'm going to read it a little bit, but she is literally, I mean, and great for her, she's 23 years old. She's about a few years older than I am. And she, in 2017, became the United States' first National Youth Poet Laureate. So, look, I think good for her. And I think that that is very interesting. Now, Gorman is more left-wing. Gorman's work, and I'm reading an article right here, focuses largely on the issues of oppression, feminism, race, marginalization, as well as, which means in connection to, the African diaspora. So Gorman is operating in the same paradigm that a lot of um, identity-based ideologies operate in. There's an idea called Afro-pessimism, which basically analyzes the entirety of the world and political considerations through the lens of how an African, according to the Afro-pessimist theorists, are meant to think if they want to really understand the, my, the, the minus lowercase t truth about their condition. I say lowercase t because those people typically don't believe in grand truths. They think that's all constructs of colonialism to destroy them. And so Gorman, I'm not saying she's an Afro-pessimist, but I'm saying that she operates in that same ideological headspace. But, you know, congratulations for her for being in the nomination. Her poem, it's beautiful, but if you were to listen to that and not have the sense of discernment that the ancient texts talk about, 
you would probably fall into agreement with a lot of what she's saying because it sounds good, because it's pleasing to the ears. So I'm going to go through some of the speech, and I'm going to tell you why exactly you should be very careful about this kind of thing, because poetry, while it is beautiful, oftentimes conveys concepts that we are disarmed from dissenting because it sounds so beautiful that we're focusing primarily on how it was delivered to us or how it's structured its prose rather than the content of its prose. So let me read a little bit of this. She begins off, Mr. Vice President, Mr. Vice President. Oh, okay. Americans and the world. This is the first few sentences of her poem. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where, where can we find light in this never-ending shade? The loss we carry, a sea must wade. We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace. In the norms, watch this right here. In the norms and notions of what just is, isn't always just is. So Gorman is positing a very philosophically specific idea of justice by upending what justice normally is considered. And we could, we're only left to guess at this point in the poem what exactly she considers to be the proper forms of justice. But you already see she's, she's revitalizing, analyzing, critiquing society, critiquing institutions. But a lot of people would have only seen or heard, oh, this sounds very eloquent. Very eloquent, but what is she saying? Let me continue. And yet, the dawn, the dawn is ours before we knew it. So there's a sense of collective ownership here. Somehow we do it. Somehow we've weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. Okay. So this ties into the sort of moral character of America. The moral character of America, in her opinion, is being continually built upon. This is the idea that Biden had in his speech about doing particular policy positions to obtain particular ends so that America can be the best it can be, rather than recognizing the good that already is within America and trying to preserve that good and trying to make sure that good is sustained through a non-interventionist government. This is interesting here. But do you see how poetry, if you haven't seen, if you have, if you listen to that poem or, you li or you're listening to this, and you haven't seen how poetry can convey a message really quickly and disarm you from being able to dissent from the message because you're primarily focused on the prose or whatever, you should see that right now. Continue. We, the successors of a country in a time where a skinny black girl descended from slaves and raised by a single mother, can dream of becoming president only to find herself reciting for one. So now you see, okay, we've a few concepts. Justice, how it is, is not how it should be. America is not finished. And a black girl descended from slaves obtaining success in a way, a way different than she envisioned it. This is not nitpicking. This is a systemic construction of Gorman's critique of the American experiment. And yet, most people aren't worried about that. <laughs> They're worried about how it sounds. People, she's quite literally disabling, 
And yes, I'm doing karate talk because I'm trying to explain this to you. She's disabling every last vestige of the experiment to reconstruct it in an image which suits her. Which I don't agree with, obviously. But do you see what she's doing here? Continuing. I'm not going to read this entire thing because we have a few minutes. And yes, we are far... Hold on, my thing just got... Yes, we are far from polished. Far from pristine. But that doesn't mean that we are striving to form a union that is perfect. We are striving to forge our union with purpose. Okay, so now... This, so the, the inherent vision of the American experiment, a more perfect union, which is simply... Uh, a union that is in complete or near complete relation with its ideas, we're not looking for that right now. We're now going to pair the union with new objectives. So instead of actually adhering to the objectives of the ideas of America, the objectives of natural freedom, the objectives of natural rights, of liberty and self-reliance, we're going to replace those with new objectives. Purpose. Whoo, Jesus. Do you see what this is? Man, my God. Guys. You don't understand me. I'm trying to communicate this with you. So many people are going to simply say Gorman's poem sounds nice. They're not going to realize she is quite literally deconstructing and then reconstructing America in her image. In the image of a particular political idea, which is very ironic at a rally meant to be about unity. She continues, to compose a country committed to all cultures, colors, characters, and conditions of man. What does that phrase mean philosophically? America is not compatible with all cultures. There are some cultures that hate America. There are some cultures that hate particular individuals. There are some cultures that say that homosexuality is evil and you should die because you're homosexual. There, not all cultures are contingent or coherent with the idea of America. This is not a racist thing to say. This is simply the truth. Many are. And in fact, I believe in cultural pluralism. I believe in having that rich diversity of cultures coming from all across the world and settling in America and being under the broad idea of freedom. That's what pluralism is. Integration into a society without destroying the society or the country's primary foundation, which is freedom. I agree with that. I don't think that all cultures, however, are compatible with freedom. And those that aren't, we shouldn't celebrate. We can work with them. We can play with them. But we shouldn't celebrate that. The Russian culture about Vladimir Putin over there, allowing gays to be destroyed in Chechnya, usurping elections, maintaining his power for so that's not compatible with America or with our culture. And so we lift our gazes not to what stands between between us, but what stands before us. So again, there's this universal idea that needs to go before our own descent. No division. And this idea of division, as I mentioned before, is that it's a bad thing, is not correct. We close the divide because we know to put our future first. We must put our differences aside. We must lay down arms so we can reach out arms to one another. We must seek harm to none and harmony for all. Let the globe, if nothing else, say this is true. That even as we grieved, we grew. That even as we hurt, we hoped. That even as we tried, we tried. That will forever be tied together victorious. Not because we will never again know defeat. Because we will never Ever again, so division. So that assertion that I just made, 
that she's preaching against division. She's deconstructing America, reconstructing it, and then preaching against division. That was not just me pulling it out of thin air. That's what she's doing. That's literally what she just said. But again, she's putting universally agreeable language in her poem. Now, I'm not going to read the entire poem, of course. I got a few minutes here left here. But do you see exactly what is happening? Do you see exactly what I'm concerned with? Do you see why I think we need to be more skeptical with this kind of stuff? Just because it sounds good does not mean the substance is good. I'm not going to read your entire poem, but you can go read it. It'll be in the show notes. It'll be under the link. It'll be on rev.com. I'll send that to you. Or I'll put it in the description. So Gorman, congratulations to her once again for that tremendous achievement. Being 23 years old and having being a Nobel, well, not, not a Nobel, a youth prize, poet prize laureate. Good for her. But she is quite literally conveying so many things in her speech, in her poem, that we are disarmed from considering because of how it sounds. And the, we give poetry a less serious consideration than we give more traditional ways of communicating, like treatises or books or academic papers. And that's a bad thing. We have to, poetry conveys some of the most powerful messages ever. You know, William Blake, Walt Whitman, some of the baddest poets in this country, some of the, some of the, the coolest people. I mean, Walt Whitman told me that I could say multitudes and that your condition as a human being, don't worry if who you are yesterday contradicts who you are today because there is an objective stem that is, that, that is keeping your body up, that is keeping your being, your spiritual being up. In that objective stem is just so much how many things you, that are within you, that you are about, that you are a dynamic being of potential. That is some righteous poetry, but it's conveying a message. Gorman is also conveying a message let's let's move on to reverend sylvester beeman's benediction a prayer um this happened right before the inauguration ended his prayer okay reverend beeman starts his um, prayer off this and this and and again so this is a prayer this is something that you know regardless of political convictions you, you can you're supposed to be able to transcend political convictions and engage in this sort of universal spiritual action of connecting with Christ, the Logos, this broad idea, and not being bogged, back, bogged down by the temporal nature of political considerations. <clears throat> That's what a prayer is meant to do. Beeman has another plan. Let's read this. Reverend Beeman. As a nation and people of faith gathered in this historic moment, let us unite in prayer, God. We gather under the beauty of your holiness and the holiness of your beauty. So far, this is fine. I think calling this a historic moment might be a little bit sacrilegious to the notion of prayer, but hey, fine, I'll let it pass. We seek your faith, your smile, your, your warm embrace. We petition you once more in the celebration. We pray for divine favor. Hold on. We pray for divine favor upon our president, Joseph R. Biden, and our first lady, Dr. Joe Biden, and their family. Hold on. You're trying to invoke God. His protection. Not just a protection. His favor. His approval to the actions of an American president. You're trying to politicize God. God is bigger 
than temporal considerations. And politics, if you're a Christian or, and, or any spiritual person, is ultimately temporal. It comes, it goes. It is bound by time. God is timeless, omnipresent, omniscient. God is so much greater. And yet you are asking him to engage in a subjective action. My God. That's sacrilegious. Okay, you can ask for protection, of course, but favor? Now, the spiritual is becoming the political, and the political is connected to the human, and the human is flawed. You're, we're now, our ideas, our, our only escape from our flawed beings, the spiritual, is being tied down in conceptual boundaries by Reverend Beeman in his assertions that God needs to favor anyone. God does not need to favor a Republican or a Democrat. God is independent from all that stuff. Christ broke the shackles of humans' vices. He broke our passions. He broke our primal considerations. I'm not trying to preach to you, but God means a lot to me, at least. Not sure about you guys. He means a lot to me. Don't bog him down in your nonsense. We further ask that you extend the same favor upon our Vice President Kamala Harris and... Oh, okay, I've already explained why I don't like that. More than ever, they are they and our nation need you. We need you for in you we discover our common humanity. In our common humanity, we will seek out the wounded and bind their wounds. We will seek out healing from those who are sick and diseased. We will mourn our dead. We will befriend the lonely, the least common, the left out. We will share our abundance, the least and left out. We will share our abundance. We will give justice to the oppressed. We will acknowledge sin and seek forgiveness, thus grasping reconciliation. <laughs> okay, so the idea of theological reconciliation is the idea there's this sort of inherent boundary, right, that religion can correct. There's this boundary within the experiences of black Americans that history can and must correct, right? That's the idea of reconciliation, right? The uh, re re reconciling what happened to Black Americans with the goals of the nation, with the current condition of Black American society. It's another identity-based, you know, idea that does not that does not operate in epistemic truth. That's that's part of the reason why I don't like this idea. Let's continue. But the, again, this is a prayer, guys, and yet you have so many political notions being enshrined in a prayer. Don't trust everything you hear. Discern it. All right, moving on. In discovering our humanity, we will seek the good end and for all our neighbors. We will love the unlovable, remove the stigma, the stigma of the so-called untouchables. We will care for our most vulnerable, our children, our elderly, our emotionally challenged, and the poor. We will seek rehabilitation beyond correction. We will extend opportunity to those locked out of opportunity. We will make friends of our enemies. We will make friends of our he repeats himself people. Your people shall no longer raise up weapons against one another. We will use our resources for the national good. Ho, ho. We will use our resources for the national good. So he's postulating a theory of justice, rehabilitation, over correction. He's postulating a moral calculus 
the national good, the public good. And we've seen this theme of the public good from Biden's speech, from Gorman's thing. He is saying very subjective political statements, and he's cloaking it in spirituality. This is the problem with activist religions. They cloak what should not be temporal, which should not be carnal, with the considerations, the subjects of carnality. Jesus, have mercy. This is the problem, my friends. And so, I'm not going to read all the rest of that. Because you guys get the idea, you get the picture. This inauguration is an attempt, a practice, and I think unintentional deceitfulness on the part of its participants that I've mentioned as organizers. It's, it, it, it speaks to the lowest level of arrogance that any one person thinks they have a monopoly on God or justice or whatever, and that if you disagree with them in their warped system of, of logic and ideas, they're still the right ones, and, and, and you just have to deal with it. That's We are bigger than that, people. Ideas are so important. How we understand ideas are so important. How we conceptualize and reckon with ideas is so important. So do yourself a favor, my friends. A big favor. Okay? Understand that this is a world full of nuance. But it's also a world where you have a lot of power. In your free will, you can influence, influence the externalities of this world. The Stoics will say, oh, no, you don't have any power. Forget the Stoics, okay? They, go, they give some good life advice, but forget them. You have power. You have power. You, you can do what I just did. I just engaged in a philosophical action of truth, engaging Socratically and logically, syllogistically with the contents of these speeches and revealing their flaws and revealing through the rhetorical fluff, through the, so, the so, uh, sophistry, through all that kind of stuff. I just revealed so much to you. Now you have the action and the power to take what I just revealed to you and use it peacefully in a way to dissent intellectually and to engage in the intellectual combat against this, in this administration. Intellectual combat. Intellectual combat. The pen is mightier than the sword, as the old adage says. My friends, if you get nothing else from this show, I want you guys to understand something. Don't be discouraged. What your mind can produce and do is far more compelling and far more powerful than anything. I mean anything. 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 That can be done to you. This is not just an aphorism. It's not just some feel-good rhetoric. You are a spiritual being. You are a being bigger than your body. And when you recognize that. And you use that politically. Or any other part of your life. You, you are empowered. You don't need a president to manifest the gifts of America. Let me leave you with this. The gifts of America, individualism, self-reliance, freedom, 
These are things that already exist inside your heart. These are things that are just that are just waiting for you to bring them out. These are things that you can manifest in full power right now. These are things that you don't need a president or government to do for you. The Jews, after they were let out of Egypt, to get the promised land, they just had to suppress their ideas and let the Logos guide them. To get to the promised land, you need to suppress your preconceptions and let the Logos guide you. I know you can do it. America will be manifested by you, I promise. All right, guys, we got to get going. Again, follow us on tw- on on Twitter, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts at. But most importantly, my friends, I want you to please stay pensive. I love you. Good night. Bye-bye.